This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 87, where we're talking about the finale of Luke Cage, episode 13, You Know My Steez. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, Defenders. It's time for the finale of Luke Cage, and you're joining us to discuss Luke Cage episode 13, You Know My Steez. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your other hosts, Chris. And I'm your third host, John, rounding out the Trinity. Welcome back, boys. Can you believe we've done it? We've gotten to 13 episodes with all three of our podcast hosts on every single episode. I am really impressed with us. Go us. Absolutely. Go Defenders. I feel like I should say Sweet Christmas. I think I feel like I kind of have to say it just for this podcast. Sweet Christmas. <laughs> sweet yeah. Christmas in November. With yes. a sweet sister thrown in for good measure. Yes, sweet sister. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah, welcome back, guys. How was the concert last night, Chris? You had a, you had a night off over, over at a concert, didn't you? I did. I went to see a New York uh, brass band called Lucky Chops. Very cool. Um, they are amazing. I recommend everyone check them out. Um, if you There's no vocals. It's just pure brass. And just pure amazing, and especially since they uh, play Harlem quite often as well. Yeah. So I was like, hmm, did not know that, but now I do. Very cool, very cool. You never know, they might, might be featured in season two of Luke Cage if it gets confirmed. Yeah, very cool. Good stuff. It will get confirmed. It Come will, on. It will, definitely. It absolutely has to. Hi. Well, welcome back to listeners. Good to have you with us for the finale of Luke Cage. Uh, really good for you, of you to join us for the 13 episode coverage that we've done. Um. I'm really looking forward to talk about our final episode. Me too. Yeah. If you are not at this stage subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe to it by going through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes to get our iTunes feed. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to it directly through our website. Just go to DefendersTVPodcast.com. Loads of subscribe options over there. Or find us on any good or evil podcast catcher just by searching for Defenders TV Podcast. Why should you subscribe? Well, obviously, we're on the 13th episode of the show which means we don't know when our next episode's going to be coming out. And if you don't subscribe, you won't find it as soon as it comes out. But if you are waiting, we do have Daredevil Season 1, Season 2, Jessica Jones, and the Marvel films for you to listen to and hear our lovely dulcet tones, as always. And of course, we will be back at some point. We might actually just cover Doctor Strange ad infinitum, a bit like... uh, I've come to bargain, Dormammu. Uh, we might just do it that way for the next, um, I don't know, well, for infinity and beyond. Um, but we will be back <laughs> for Iron Fist. We will be back for Defenders. We will be back for Punisher. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I have already thought about the amount of things we have talked about amongst ourselves about Doctor Strange since we did our Doctor Strange spoiler special. We could probably do a second Doctor Strange spoiler special when the Blu-ray comes out, I think. We could do yeah. a spoiler special, <laughs> indeed. Oh, God. Okay, but one of you has to act like Sean Connery for the whole thing. That would be amazing. We you take a voice. <laughs> Anyway, boys, I think we Absolutely. should. Absolutely, uh, I think we should kick in <laughs> to this episode of uh, of our Luke Cage coverage. Absolutely, Miss Money Penny. It's absolutely Wong, Mister Wong. 
Well, we'll start off the way we usually do with our episodes of Luke Cage. Uh, I'll give you some production notes. John will give you the synopsis, and then we'll go into our top five points about the episode. Uh, so this episode was directed by Clark Johnson, who's directed episode of, Ho- of Homeland. Quite a few episodes, actually, about six or seven of that. Uh, and also comes from The Wire. So, John, during the series, we've been talking about The Wire connections within the show. Uh, here's another connection. We have the director of Absolutely, the episode. Absolutely, yeah. It's really good to see the connection come back, because it was certainly there at the start. Um, I hadn't really made too many points towards The Wire connection in the second part of of uh, Luke Cage but yeah absolutely and yeah Homeland great first season loved it Claire yeah, Danes was. what's not to love about Claire Danes being chased around the countryside absolutely we do love Claire do love Claire uh, this episode was written by Aida Mashaka Crowell who did uh, Blowing Up the Spot an excellent episode earlier on in the season uh, and it was also written by our showrunner Chio Hadari Coker uh, who closes out the series uh, he wrote the first two episodes of the series was the showrunner for the full show and obviously has now also written the final episode as well so good to have his guiding hand behind uh, the start and end of the show. So, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. A young Willis striker is shown coaching Carl Lucas to become a skilled fighter, helping him to win an important match inside the boxing ring. Elsewhere, and in a different time, an equally important fight takes place between Stryker and Luke Cage. As Luke takes the fight, to Mecha Striker in his hammer tech suit, as Harlem looks on outside Pops's barbershop. As the fight continues, the NYPD surround the two antagonists, and in the confusion, Misty Knight drops her cell phone, and Dillard loses the files on Carl Lucas, both of which prove to have serious consequences. As Cage knocks Willis out, the NYPD move in, and Dillard is arrested, Striker is taken to hospital, and Luke is taken into custody. However, at Harlem's police precinct, things do not play out as first thought. Dillard walks free after Candace is murdered by Alvarez, who has lured her out from protective custody with the use of Misty's lost phone. And federal marshals arrive to arrest Cage for his escape from Seagate. He still owes the state of Georgia time. In Harlem, as the dust settles, a certain deja vu returns. Luke Cage is taken back to Seagate. Harlem's paradise is reopened under Dillard. Misty is back under cover. And a Dr. Burstein is looking for subjects as Stryker recovers in hospital. It's a huge wrap-up episode, this episode. I tweeted out after watching this episode for the first time, this is unlike any other finale for any of the other Marvel shows, let alone the Marvel Netflix shows. Um, they're really wrapping everything up in this episode. Loads and loads of the threads that we've seen throughout the show just seem to be just closed down and shut off. Um, we've revisited every single character, as far as I could tell all of the alive characters anyway, um, that we saw from the first episode to the last episode. Uh, overall, what did you guys kind of think generally? I actually really, really warmed to this episode. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the fight scene took, took a while for me to, to kind of understand it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not entirely sure I'm with it. But um, I actually think this is quite a unique ending for a Marvel Netflix show. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, no, that's completely my same point to myself. Like, this was not the standard Marvel Netflix closing Mm -hmm. at all. In theory, we got the closing in the first 20 minutes and the rest was all wrap-up. But additionally, the stranger thing, it was they gave us... They gave us unusual an unusual ending mm-hmm. if you want to call it that in that everything was bleak yeah yeah nothing 
in they in that they wrapped things up, they also left enough doors open. It was so original. And okay, to be fair, this season, the series, there's been a lot of we've seen it before. So like the hallway fight scenes, the building sieges, people getting murdered left, right, and center. Like we've seen this in other Netflix episodes and next to other series, sorry, I should say. Um, such as like the, the hospital scene and the hallway scene number one, hallway scene number two in Daredevil. In Jessica Jones, we've seen some of that back and forth and the growth of the villain. As Luke was being driven out of the city, it's going to be interesting how this sets up the defenders. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key bit in my head is like, yeah. And I think we could talk about that as we go into our points. Yeah, exactly. I'll probably have a few notes about the uh, about the ending myself as well. Uh, so obviously, as I said, the way we talk about our episodes is we talk about our top five points. In case you're just joining us for the finale of our Luke Cage coverage, uh, who wants to kick us off? I I, I think Christoph should go first because otherwise, um, dare I say, it's a certain wing. Might come into it. <laughs> Chris, guys, I'm going to kick off because uh, I missed a few Easter eggs over the last couple of episodes, so I want to just kind of really jump in with my point zero for this episode, <laughs> which is just the Easter eggs alone. So first off, because I know John has to say something because there's Denying Fist reference, I'm going to get in there. Claire, at the end, feeling that she needs a bit more protection, takes the flyer with a number for a martial arts instructor from none other than Colleen Wing, Woo-hoo. who we have seen. We now seen Colleen Wing in action in some of the uh, the the Iron Fist in the teaser trailer, yeah, the teaser trailer, and also some when they introduced her uh, going into the Defenders. Mm-hmm. Um. So we know that Miss Wing is going to be in Iron Fist in 2017, and now I'm assuming our connecting Night Nurse is going to be in there too. I love it. So we I can love- pretty much, like, that's going to be the introduction. I love this idea that the Night Nurse is going to be t- taking night classes with Colleen Wing. I think that's really cool. Yeah, really cool. <laughs> I like it. I have to see if I can freeze frame that and see if there's a phone number on there. Remember, there was a Jessica Jones phone number given out when they announced there was going to be a season two, and they had a voicemail from Jessica Jones. I'm wondering if they've done something similar with Colleen Wing, but I just couldn't see whether it was even clear enough on the screen no. to see the phone number. Yeah. So, uh, Again, that 4K TV might be what we need. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think I think that is the main excuse for me buying one now. The second one I really want to talk about is Claire. He kept offering twice. Offered. She knows a really good lawyer, not just lawyers, mm-hmm. but a really good lawyer. So I'm wondering: is that Foggy? Is that Matt? Potentially Foggy. It's got to be Foggy because Matt Murdock is shockingly bad as a lawyer. He's good as a nighttime vigilante that swings around the rooftops of uh, Hell's Kitchen, but it was Foggy in season two that really kept them alive as a law firm. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, Matt really doesn't even turn up for, for, no, exactly. for anymore. Uh, yeah. 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 And I'm actually glad that they didn't, you didn't get a nice cameo from, from kind of Matt in this. I mean, Foggy, I wouldn't have minded. Matt coming in, I think that would have almost stolen away. This is Luke's show. I think that they did the right thing. True. It would, it, yeah, it would have been a bit part, but, and also that Easter egg of actually Matt coming on or Charlie Cox like turning up, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have stayed secret for long enough. Yeah. And we would have been spoiled by this point. Exactly. I would have liked to see Claire meet up with Matt again, maybe just hand over the file to him or something, or Bobby Fish hand the file to him or something. Yeah. But. Yeah. Next up, uh, Dr. Burstein has a new patient. I thought was a, like it was a blink and you'd miss it. 
kind of job where he kind of closes the door to Diamondback's room when Diamondback is paralyzed, we mm-hmm. believe. Um, but the cop just nods at him. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, bit strange. This led me to question is the fact that, uh, Diamondback is somewhat blood related to Luke. Is there a connect? Does Dr. Burstein think that there's a DNA or blood? reasoning for why Luke survived the treatment. Interesting. And is that why he's going to uh, Diamondback to try Diamondback? But we pretty much now can assume that Diamondback's going to be super powered in for season two mm-hmm. or most likely the defenders. And then finally, the the best part, the best part, and I think we all know where I'm going with this, Misty showing up in Harlem's Paradise in her iconic outfit. Yes, from big times. Yes. It was just brilliant. And the hair, the shoulderless, the shirt, it was just a brilliant. But the question that kind of led to me, and when she was looking up towards Mariah uh-huh. and Shade, we don't actually know what's happened to her in the, like, in that short period of time. Has she quit the force already? Is she going into business by herself? I guess we're going to have to find out next year. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. The one thing I would say, though, about the costume is, and it's a little bit of a shame, uh, she didn't have her afro. That's kind of the trademark of Misty Knight is the afro hairdo. She does have a a different hairdo, but it's not an afro. I know there are quite a few people that are commenting on the fact that afros are now hugely popular in America again. They're they're back as as bold and beautiful as they were in the 70s. Um, And there is a couple of people kind of going, why couldn't they just give her an afro? Give her the right full on proper Afro hairdo. Uh, but I loved it. Yeah, it totally stands out uh, that, that she is back. Um, I do have a bit of a later point, but I'll just throw it in here as a, as a note to this. Um, it really felt like Misty was back to where she was at the first episode of the series where she's monitoring Cottonmouth's activities undercover for the cops. Um, I don't know whether she could be undercover now that Mariah and Shades both know her as well as they do. Um, yeah. but it did feel like she's, she's returned to her original spot right by the bar staring up at these two people controlling uh, Harlan's Paradise Completely, again. completely, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But for my first point, like every episode, I talk about uh, the name of the show, uh, the name of the episode, which comes from a song by Gangstar, uh, as with every other one of the 13 episodes. Um, this episode was called You Know My Steez. Uh, I did have to look it up because it is, a again, another phrase created by the rap group Gangstar. Uh, steez means style with ease, so you know my style with ease. Actually, another really good one of the tracks. It's a track about um, a battle between them and all the other fake rappers around the area that think they sound like them, but go and effectively run away and hide. So this song is all about people that are trying to be exactly like you, just like Diamondback is trying to be exactly like Luke Cage. His Luke's powers are replicated by the hammer suit that he's wearing. He's almost exactly the same, but obviously Luke will come out on top. He'll triumph. He's the real deal, not like Diamondback. So that's where this episode comes from. I want to give a huge shout out to Chio Coker. I don't think, apart from one episode, I think, throughout the series so far, we've easily been able to find a connection between the song title and the episode that's involved. I don't know whether he just left a mixtape on the desk for the writers just to go, right, this is how you write your episodes. Listen to this song and write it. (laughs) But fair dues to him to get 13 songs connected to 13 episodes. Really, really good. John, do you want to give us your point? Yeah, it was, um, I suppose it's the Marmite element of this episode. It's the fight scene, uh, at the start. It was interesting. I mean, I suppose for me, it's kind of grown on me. I mean, it, it's almost slightly V for Vendetta, where, 
at the end, all the people who have died at the hands of the totalitarian regime and so on, um, that they, they come back sort of metaphorically to fight against the system. And I think, um, in V for Vendetta. Yeah, in V for Vendetta. And here we have all these people watching the fight scene. Um, I don't know whether initially for me that it kind of worked. It felt a bit strange. Um, but I suppose this has been one of the Marvel Netflix shows that has really looked to focus on it. It's, its sense of place, i.e. in Harlem and in that community. Mm-hmm. And so for the community then to watch this play out, um, I thought actually it was probably the right thing to happen. It kind of, it, it, it worked for me ultimately, but I, I kind of do recognize that this could be a bit of a Marmite, uh, moment really for the show, or at least for this last episode. Um, definitely. Completely agree with you on this one. <laughs> um, it was one of my points as well. So I'm going to jump in if you don't mind, because what I love to, pretty much invulnerable guys wailing on themselves. That was great. And do you remember the Incredible Hulk in Harlem? Uh Uh-huh. The two, that that part where the two, him and the Abomination. Yes. Were like just literally two super strong guys, literally just... Smacking each other around. Smacking, yeah, smacking each other around. And it really was a rock'em sock'em kind of beatdown in Harlem. But I personally... It lacked enough punch. See what I did there? <laughs> um, to really make it that amazing finale fight. If they had it did something like Christmas Addicts, almost that level of holy god, that was cool. I know it was the hallway scene or something, but it just—I don't know. It was. It was just well for one thing, and I, I this is I'm the anti kind of not the anti. I'm I'm, the, I'm on the far side of the marmite, which is like. They didn't explain how Luke beat the striker's hammer sec tech suit, right? Mm-hmm. So did he was it just about like he took enough punches until it ran out of power? Like is something like that? Like I spent that whole fight going, Hello, hit the flashy thing. If you played enough video games in your lifetime, the flashy <laughs> thing is the weak point. Absolutely. In the armor. Absolutely. Like, like he turned his back. He noticed it like two or three times. Yeah. He was like, rip it off. Like if you rip off the power cell, that would turn him into a normal human being mm-hmm. and you could throw him across the world. Um, <laughs> but he just kept like ignoring it. And like, okay, I, I got the, the, the reference, the inner reference in terms of part of the, 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 the the piece where you something along the lines of um, you gotta you gotta wear them down uh, and it, it it kind of played along the that those lines mm-hmm. but it just for me it didn't have enough oomph for that that piece and I, I do you remember in the last episode where we were talking about this Harlem running around him that type of thing yeah like that. Like, I was expecting even that could have made it a bit more an emotional punch where, like, if Luke was almost in the complete beatdown and then he beat Diamondback and then the cops are still aiming at uh, Luke mm-hmm. and then all the people of Harlem uh, circle around him to right. stop him being uh, shot. It was a, a stick of dynamite and the fuse was going and I was expecting this big bang and then it just fizzled out. Right, right. And I was like... Oh, you could have just 
<laughs> See, I thought I thought this was a really interesting way to end it, and it did take me a little bit of time to work out exactly what had happened. So, and partly, I think it's because on the podcast I had thought I had talked about that Spider-Man scene and kept thinking, okay, the Harlem guys are going to give him enough power to beat this guy down. And what effectively it turned out to be was the exact opposite. This is a guy that's been beating his way through walls, has been throwing cars all around the place, has been throwing people all over the place. And the way he beats Willis Stryker is to stop hitting him because that's what takes away his power. His power, his, his suit is fueled on being punched by Luke Cage. The more Luke Cage punches him, the more power he gets and the more he can retaliate which I thought was a really interesting choice here. So this guy has to sit back and take the beating until uh, until Willis Stryker's suit runs out of power, and then he can beat him. That's a really interesting choice for a show that's gone 12 episodes saying this is the strongest man in Harlem. Yeah? Um, okay. Yeah, okay. I yeah. can see that point now. I didn't... That didn't come across enough in the episode. But I think that's it. I think ultimately, like, he had the suit on for the mm-hmm. first time right at the end of the last episode. And then you have this fight, and actually, ultimately, it ends up being a bit corny at the end, because Claire Temple goes, how did you know to do that? Those elements of this fight were the dialogue is really just bad, to be honest. And to be honest, for me, it didn't really help trying to really get to grips with Willis Stryker as a character mm-hmm. in in this season, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I feel as though there needed to be a bit more of a... And this might kind of... This was my initial concerns with the fight. I can, I can absolutely accept it. I still feel there needed to be a bit more personal time directly between Willis Stryker and Luke Cage, mm-hmm. where they really go toe-to-toe, head-to-head, fist-to-fist, or whatever, working out why it is that Willis Stryker is trying to take this guy down. I get that we have heard the backstory, and that it's to do with his, his you know, all, all this element of jealousy, uh, all of this thing to do with his his um, Luke's and, and Willis's uh, dad effectively disowning him and to be honest that's fine but in this moment i just don't know whether what he's doing is justified by that and i, I still feel for me willis striker is hugely unresolved uh within this season um you know what my point being is what they did with cottonmouth um in the first six seven episodes um, was so much more than what they've done with Willis Stryker in then the subsequent six, seven episodes. Um, and, and I, I suppose that's the main, the main issue with this fight for me is I wish they had started it off much more intimately. It was maybe even a breakdown. It didn't need to go to fists. Um, and again, just the fact that we're only introduced to this suit in the previous episode, and all of a sudden, Luke realizes halfway through, even though it looks as though really what the camera is telling him to do is to rip the, the flashing backpack off, mm. he sits there and takes the punches, and I'm at, I'm there thinking, he's lost. He's losing. Yeah. But actually, it's to run down the power that's with, but, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah. it, it's all a bit weird, really. 
But I have to say, that is my only kind of negative of, of this final episode, mm-hmm. I have to say. Uh, and it could be argued that it's a big negative. But I, I do think the fight scene kind of worked in, in terms of the community of Harlem being out there and watching it. I just wish, actually, they had kind of done a bit more before that and mm-hmm. elaborated maybe more after it, because it, it also just seemed to just fizzle out. Um, that was the end yeah yeah Yeah. and maybe it's also just because it's so early on in this final episode Uh and then really the majority of the episode then is working out um what happens and i suppose this is going to be one of my other points later on but actually for me that's what makes this work ultimately as an episode and makes yeah. it so different from any of the other Marvel Netflix shows. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, what I did also like though is the is the boxing scenes between the two of them as we went as they went on. I kind of like if though if those scenes had been in earlier episodes, um, if we'd seen a bit more of that in earlier episodes to expand out and Will Strucker's character a bit more, um, potentially showing what fight it is that Luke was going up for and why Willis was the one that was training him. But I did like that they brought that in here, showing that there was a bit of brotherly love earlier on uh, when the two of them were working together uh, in in their younger days. Completely, completely agree on that. Chris, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, and that's actually just a perfect lead-in because I really feel I'm going to echo, it's one of my points, and I'm going to echo what John said. Mm-hmm. I don't think they fleshed out the character of Diamondback enough in this season. Mm-hmm. And especially in this episode. And I think, as you said, that they, the, the context, the, the relationship between them, like the, the minimal amount that we got, like it was so late mm-hmm. in the, the, the series, in the episode or the beginning of the episode, but late in the series, like what was it? To go forward, you might have to go backwards sometimes. I think like I was pops said yeah. kind of to a degree. And it's like, they could have benefited, like, Chio Coker and the team could have benefited from more from that idea, in that they could have, they, if they had sprinkled in these flashbacks, like, if this flashback of the whole, like, taking the punches, like, we had seen that as a flashback, back to, like, it bookend completely perfect, just by itself, mm. when he was thinking about his relationship with Stryker, and then... That would have made more sense because then someone like Claire, he could have been telling Claire and Claire could have just reminded him and then he suddenly kind of, then we're like, oh, okay, now we get it. Well, may- maybe, but I, I do think that, the, as I say, the, this particular fight scene was built on the fact that Luke was doing something he never would do before. So he hadn't had that experience before where you let people punch you because he's always been a strong fighting kind of character. So to let someone punch you until they've run out of steam and then punch them back is something that would not come natural to Luke. So I kind of like that, but but I know what you mean. Yeah, I definitely would have liked to have seen some more flashbacks to those two characters together at a younger age. Exactly. I think that the core, the core issue I have with just the character of Diamondback or Willis Stryker is that we don't have enough seed like we don't have enough discourse to make the the level of explosion of what is happening stick yeah in that it could have like the the motivation of diamondback ultimately set against a cottonmouth's motivation seems less and yet he's willing to you know he he's his pursuit of luke is relentless yeah yeah halfway through but it wasn't relentless beforehand and it it seems a bit at odds whereas i think with cottonmouth luke has 
effectively destroyed his operations. He's broken up the Atticus um, building. He's affected um, Dillard's um, career. That motivation I can understand, and I can under. Whereas it seems like ultimately, and this is maybe going to sound really nah, a bit strange, but ultimately, it's almost like your our dad loved you more than he loved me. Absolutely. Therefore, I'm going to go on this murderous rampage, mm-hmm. and I don't yep. know whether I necessarily ultimately buy it. And I always thought there was going to be something more around the corner. So I I question has this been done on purpose? Yes. Now that is my whole thing in that because Striker, because Diamondback may become the superpowered Diamondback, he may become one of the, the, the antagonists in the Defenders mm-hmm. or a Luke Cage season two, then maybe they've they held back for that reason. I don't know if it worked. I understand if that is the case. If this is going, if he is going to be a big bad in Defenders, then that does make sense. Yeah. Then they can explore further, greater details of his character. Like he called, he called the soup one of the original sins. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, but like again, like the biblical element. If you had to made him psychotic, like Mm -hmm. full on crazy. Kind of like he's religious, he's a, a zealot, he's literally that kind of person. He like is. almost like a suicidal <laughs> bomber type yeah. level of religious zealot. Yeah. Then that could play towards the, the, the actions he took in this seven episodes. Yeah. But they created a character who is crazy, but he's also very smart because he like has risen to the where he is, mm-hmm. both on his violence and his craziness, but his smarts. So you can't, it's two conflicting uh, character sets. Absolutely. And I, I think the other thing as well is just the fact that because he's not there in the first six episodes, seven episodes, and but because he's referred to, a bit like with um, the Kingpin, he's also introduced much more subtly as someone who is a much more subtle villain and then when you finally get to see him, it's kind of like there's this kind of crazy upfront and personal thing. And you're kind of like going, this seems at odds with the fact that he's been almost like it, or it appears that he's been biding his time in the shadows for the first six episodes. Whereas then he comes out a bit kind of, I can't wait to get stuck into this Luke Cage and he's kind of manic about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think that's a look. I don't actually want, I feel as I've been a bit too critical because I don't have a problem with Diamondback. And actually, I really like this episode in the end. But I, I think if you explore that, I think you can see a few issues. Right. Well, I'm going to go on to my next point because it's kind of connected to this. Okay. Uh, slightly the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convince the world he never existed. Yeah. So that's kind of the concept from usual suspects that's mariah dillard in this show we've talked about her all the time as being a great actress a great character a great person in the background she's the super villain of this show i feel that 
the trick that they've played on us as viewers within this series is to look at Diamondback as the replacement for Cottonmouth. We saw Cottonmouth, we saw his rise, we saw his fall, we saw his death at the hands of Mariah Dillard. But then we kind of let, let her story play out and go, okay, yeah, she's become a Mar- Black Mariah, but focus over here at this really showy guy, which is exactly what Mariah Dillard's character is looking for people to do. Look at Diamondback. He's the bad guy. He's the villainous one. He's the one that's going to kill Luke Cage. Look who gets Luke Cage sent back to prison. Look who gets out on the charges of Cottonmouth's death. She's done all of this in the background while being at the foreground in front of the press while being on the news all the time. Um, I love how her character has played out in this episode and how she ends off this episode out on the streets again. She had the opportunity to, uh, thinking that she was going to be arrested and going to be sent to prison. She called up the press herself, went directly down to the fight with Luke Cage, shared the fact that he's Carl Lucas, an unknown criminal from Georgia, so that he'd get called and put back in prison. That's such a smart play from this woman. She's also the one that knew that Candace was being protected by Misty Knight, got the phone in Pop's virus shop, gave it to Shades, and then Shades obviously called out Candace and had her killed. So she's the mastermind behind everything here. She is the devil of this show. She is the absolute supervillain in the show. And I love how that played out as part of the series and how it closed out in the season. Definitely. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. It's one of my points. You know, Mariah Dillard here is so good. I've absolutely loved her story arc Mm -hmm. um, throughout the whole of this series. It's so Machiavellian, ultimately. And I love the kind of meeting of her and Alvarez as well. And yeah, I mean, she... She, it's almost like she's had an epiphany. Um, you know, that she is the daughter of Mama Mabel and she must continue it. Cottonmouth, her blood relative as well. It, it's kind of part of the thing. It's, it's, it's like Misty Knight, um, being back at the club, looking up, you know, as you said earlier, um, she's looking up now at Mariah Dillard and Alvarez was before it was Cottonmouth and Mariah Dillard. And but what we have here is that Mariah Dillard is taking the legacy of Cottonmouth and Mama Mabel and, and continuing it. All the pretense that she wanted to do something different and be an upstanding counselor mm-hmm. has absolutely faded to the background. Yeah. Um so that is absolutely I think Mariah Dillard is one of the highlights. And I mean if I'm honest, I can't wait to see how she plays out and what she does in season two of Luke Cage, to be honest. Absolutely. I love the the purity of that statement when they're in the office, the Biggie Smalls picture is taken off the wall and there's that new picture put on the wall, a painting of now two heads with crowns uh, above them sitting in place of Biggie Smalls showing that this is Mariah and Shades Alvarez taking over together. They did get together in the end. I was right to see that there was something between them going on uh, throughout the series. Although Shades does give her a bit of a look when she's walking away going, this is purely for control of Harlem, uh, of Harlem's paradise. Yeah, you do know that. It's kind of, it's the look that's in his eyes, uh, his Shades not covered eyes. Completely agree with you on that. Like, bye bye Biggie. Like, there's a new queen bee in town. Mm -hmm. Like, she really embodies the all hate to love in this kind of the, this <laughs> series. Like this was the origin that I'd been wanting for years, which was like we literally you saw someone turn from like mild mannered councilwoman mm-hmm. to Black Mariah. Yeah, like this gave a 
character, the depth of the character was just, and like this one, the writing teams, I, I, I kind of bow down to, like, you actually understood her hate and her misgivings of herself mm-hmm. throughout the series until she's in that interrogation room and she's like, no, no, and then she puts on Mama Mabel's earrings. And she becomes, ma- like, literally it was the symbol of becoming Mama Mabel at that point. I was just like, oh. I know, like, cool. It's just, like, I can still spin this. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. that line alone made me go, okay, yeah, okay. I, 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 she is the new Madame Gao for me. <laughs> she is. I actually prefer her almost over Madame Gao. Madame Gao is ancient and has magic. She's just a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Who who's spinning stuff like, and just the look, I it, you barely see it, but when she when Luke walks out of the precinct mm-hmm. and she looks at uh, she she looks away from the camera and looks towards Luke and smirks, mm-hmm. yeah, and you have to actually focus on her and not the camera. Beautiful yeah. in the way that it did it, yeah, fantastic. I very really cool, very cool. But she couldn't kick Daredevil across a room though, unlike Madame Gay. You never know she could. <laughs> she know. may get Diamondback suit, put it under her clothes. <laughs> Goes toe to toe with Luke Cage. It'd be amazing. Perhaps. Uh, do you want to take us on with your next point, Chris? I do. Poor, poor Candace. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. The writing was on the wall from the beginning of this. And like, the blood was on the pavement. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you even you even said it in our last podcast episode uh, that that is, that is definitely time for Candace. When she'd gone and said, I want protective custody or yeah. else I'm not going to give you this information. That pretty much was it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so obvious it was going to happen. And I thought they were going to do the whole, well, you think this is going to happen? Well, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought we were going to get to the whole end of the series and, like, it's going to be, no, she's alive. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, brilliant. Like, this is fantastic. They, I expected something and they completely, they, they give me all the, the signs towards that she was going to die. And then it was like, oh. And the only reason I got it, that I literally had one of those, oh, moments, was Misty calls out, where's my phone? Mm-hmm. Looking around. And then she gets the text message from and said Misty, and I was like, "Oh no, really?" I, I like the plan. I must say, I like the plan. I like the I like the execution of it. If that's not a, a terrible choice of words for what happened to uh, to poor Candace, and um, I like the execution of it. I like that Justin Swain was the one that uh, that told Misty about it, and her reaction to him uh, <laughs> pulling her out of the uh, yeah. interrogation room was was really interesting. No wonder he was wondering whether we'd watched the last episode when we uh, when we interviewed him because I think he was kind of excited by that big scene that he gets yeah. with Misty. Uh, <laughs> Didn't get to talk to him about that, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did like this and I'm, I'm really sorry to have lost Candace in that way. I was really worried that something was going to happen to Soledad, um, Claire Temple's mom. Uh, I, yeah. I felt that they were going to break into the house and, and yeah, me too. kill her and take Candace or something like that. I didn't actually expect it would go down this quiet route of making her leave the house and killing her outside, you know? Um, yeah. So I was quite, quite intrigued by that, by the way they the- did that. The, the only part I actually really liked about this is this is the straw that bakes the camel's back for Misty. Like when Ridley midway through the questioning and it's like she, what was it? Towards the end of the questioning apologies when she kind of goes, Candace should have been in police custody. This is your fault. This is on you. And then that final scene where you see Misty in the, the autopsy room in the coroner's 
where she's looking and she's welling up and then she just walks up and you see her face. Actually, in the interrogation room, whoever was the director, the, the, the director of photography for this one, this last episode, uh-huh. that when she's in the interrogation room and the door and Ridley leaves and she's just silhouetted, silhouetted in light and everything else is just black and you see her face. I was like, give that woman an Oscar. Give her like an <laughs> Emmy. I thought an Oscar would be an Emmy. Like she was amazing in this. Yeah. She so deserved it. But this is the great point where it showed both. Okay, you can stand up to the system. But when you don't actually believe in the system and you don't work with the system, bad shit still happens mm. as well. Yeah. And I thought that was such an amazing contradiction to where Luke is like, well, look, people need, they, they need us to be doing more. And I don't care if call me a hero or vigilante. I'm just doing what's right. And that's what Missy was doing. Yeah. And the cost of that, of going outside the system was the death of this young woman. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of which, uh, my next point is the, is the speech of Luke Cage in. The NYPD was really cool. I loved the fact that he's effectively giving his full ethos as to who he is and why he is the hero or the vigilante, whichever way you want to, you want to think about it. Um, I love, especially at this time, there's been a lot going on in the last couple of months and, and weeks in the US and in the UK. Um, that's got people pretty down. So great time for a speech like this where it's saying you need to fight every day, not turn your heels, not walk away just because things start getting tough. You need to battle every single day or else nothing will get done. I thought it was a really inspiring speech and I loved the fact that all of the NYPD officers are, you, you can tell they're almost ready to give them a clap and, and say congratulations, thank you for the speech that's that's uh, that's kind of going to let us do our job now. It's kind of the answer to the question that was posed by Scarf, Misty Knight's partner earlier on in the season where uh, where it was kind of what do we do now when we've got when we've got superheroes all around us. Well, we still all need to work together. We still all need to fight every day. Uh, a nice little point from, from Luke Cage there. Completely. I thought the real amazing part of that speech was it bookended the other side of the view from Scarf's big, huge soliloquy mm-hmm. in what, episode four, three, three or four, before he, before he bites the bullet. Yeah. Um, it was just, that was the bit I was like, yes. It was like, okay, yes, this is what we need. It's like, while you guys, we still need you. We still need the, the police force to do your job. There needs to be people who can step outside of that line. Mm-hmm. It wasn't said in like, a, well, you guys aren't doing your job. It was like, no, you need people like me who still Absolutely. want to do the right thing, but also can step to the side and not worry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you can see it resonating again with Misty setting her up for her big arc as well when she becomes Misty Night, Misty Night. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was really, it was great. It showed the other side of the coin. I think that was the main thing. And you see all the, the cops just staring and then Misty turns around going like, what are y'all doing? Have yeah. I got work to do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. John, do you want to take us on with your next point? Yeah. It's, um, I mean, effectively it's, it is. The ending in its entirety. I mean, I think this is where the bad guys win. Mm-hmm. Um, the hero is going back to prison. You know, he ultimately is called out as a convict on the run. Yeah. Um, that, in a sense, the work that he's done in trying to 
break up the crime syndicate that was Cottonmouth um, trying to protect, well, effectively himself from, from Diamondback and that criminal element has almost been for nothing. As you said, Chris, it is a bleak ending. And mm. I think that this is what makes this episode for me actually really, really special for uh, Marvel Netflix is that... Yes, Diamondback is in hospital and so on, but the hero goes to prison. The detective who we've been rooting for all this time is back in the same place as she was no further on. She has made no arrests. Um, She's got no convictions. And the bad guys, yes, it's not Cottonmouth, it's not Diamondback, but they've replaced. It's almost Hydra-esque. It's like you take down two and two more have taken their place. Um, you know, it really is, um, excellent. And that's what this element of, um, history repeating, it's, it's all come almost a full circle. It's like the, um, anti-Simba circle of life. (laughs) It's like the evil version of this. And this, I think, is one of the radical elements of this series of uh, this Marvel Netflix, is that the people who have come out on top, there's still hope, absolutely, but the people that come out on top are the Mariah Dillard, the Alvarez, and not Luke Cage. Really, um, and I think that is hugely different compared to the previous Daredevils and Jessica Jones. And yeah. for that, I have to say, I have to give Marvel Netflix absolutely their props mm-hmm. uh, and uh, their their due time because that is a really different way of doing it. And mm-hmm. I think it challenges the notion that all these uh, Marvel uh, whether it's films, whether it's TV, necessarily have to end up hunky dory, happy clappy, um, everything resolved in the favor of good people. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it came, it comes in slightly with Daredevil season two in the fact that, you know, you do still have the kingpin working in prison. But the thing is, is that you feel that there has been some justice in this. Has justice been served? The cage is not exonerated. Yeah. He's arrested and taken back to prison. And actually, the truth of his situation is revealed because you've kind of forgotten it. You forget he is an escapee on the run, hiding his identity. Yeah. Yep. And that's brought back into sharp focus when two marshals turn up and say, the state of Georgia, you still owe it time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do, really interesting. I do love the unfairness of that moment as well, because Luke says to them, I'm innocent and I can prove it. And they go, we don't care. You were convicted. You owe us time. You broke out of prison. It doesn't matter whether you're innocent or not. You still need to come back to prison with us. Um, if that had been in any other show, you have the lawyer present and they get off scot-free immediately. He's committed another crime by breaking out of prison, even if he was innocent of the original crime in the first place. Yeah. He's still not allowed to walk out through through an open door or a broken out wall. Um, so I love the unfairness of it, and that's that's why I think it works so well as the ending to this episode. I thought it was such a great touch and such a great final moment of uh, of this episode. The other thing is, if you thought that Willis Stryker was the villain for this for the second half of the series, like you thought that Cottonmouth was the only villain for the first half of the series. 
it does kind of look like Luke Cage won. He knocked him out. He got sent to hospital. Off he goes. Um, that's it done. So Luke probably thinks in some sense he's won here, but he does know that Mariah Dillard is still someone he needs to come back at. He probably just won't punch her in the face like he does with, uh, with Willis Stryker. Uh, he has to pay, make, maybe take a slightly different tack with her. Um, but yeah, you're right. Leaving her in charge and leaving Shades in charge of the club. Well, that's kind of the, the bad guys win. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I, I have to agree with you, John, on this 100%. This, I was 50-50 for this episode, right? I was like, I'm not quite sure where I was going to land. Right. The last 60 seconds to a minute and a half, this gave me something that we've all wanted for years to come, which happens in comic books for years, which is the final page leaves you on a cliffhanger where the bad guy is winning Mm -hmm. and the good guy is down on his luck. Like this is the, this is exactly what we we've always seen before. I know some probably will argue about civil war, Captain America civil war, where like the Avengers have broken up. I was just about to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Zemo still loses, but the, like the, the the Avengers have broken up, but we know they're that somehow they'll come back together. We know that's going to happen. Mm. This was different, and again, I think this is also slightly the the political element of the the subtext within this, which is you pay the price for your actions. Yeah, he paid the price in that he saved Harlem. Harlem now love him. So that's the the price he gets. But additionally, he broke out of prison. Mm-hmm. Even though he's like he's innocent and like we assume that file will somehow exonerate him to a degree. And Absolutely. So he he will get out, but he has to spend his time in there. And it was just beautiful like him driving over the bridge to man from Manhattan to or to Manhattan. I don't know which side of the bridge would Harlem be on going towards. It's on Manhattan. So he's so, driving off Manhattan to... To go towards Georgia. To Georgia. To go to Georgia, yeah. Not on the midnight train, though. It was just a brilliant symbol. It's just kind of like, just that, that pan out. And it's, you're not left with a happy feeling. No. Nope. You're left with a... Well, they all got like they all got away with it. And if they hadn't told me, well, we're going to introduce a 14th episode, I'm like, no, that was the best ending you could have given me. Because, John, you hit on a massive point for me, which is, like, the main bad guy in this is not Diamondback. It's not Cottonmouth. <laughs> Even he can't get us, could you? I think this is Derek who actually said it. No, I think I think Derek stole my point. <laughs> oh. the The main villain in this whole series was not Cottonmouth. It mm-hmm. was not Diamondback. It was Black Mariah. Yeah. yeah she absolutely. is the, the main bad guy. She is the kingpin of Harlem. And I'm like, that's perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah, definitely. You've just set up the ultimate person who now, by the way, is taking over all of the gun running, mm-hmm. all of the drugs. Every all operation. Of, there is, she is taking over everything in New York. Mm-hmm. Because there is no Dominicans, there is no Colombians, there is no Jamaicans, there is no the the Asian and the Chinese. I think, we, as she says, are busy doing their own thing, which yeah. we know that's Man Gao and the rest of them. Like that's the hand, so they're away. So she now runs it all. Yeah, she definitely has Harlem. Definitely. This is bad guys win. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, do you want to give us your last point? Yes. I'm going to take you on to my last point, which is, remember, folks, forward, always. Mm -hmm. Always forward. Or, but twirling, twirling, constantly twirling. I love that. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I just want to break into forward, always, but sometimes backwards, and always twirling. Um, I can't even remember what it's from. It, it was from some show, and I'm just like, it's in my head forever. Bill Clinton on The Simpsons, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, for me, this this was the one. It was an amazing to thread this throughout the series yeah. as this driving factor that, like, Okay, yes, you no matter what happens, always drive forwards, always keep one foot ahead. And I think it fits right into twenty sixteen. Yeah. After all we've seen throughout the world, the 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 amazing artists who have passed away, to the uh presidents of the United States, that the election to the Black Lives Matter to it's just a strong message. It's not from the comic books, as far as I am aware. No, no, it's just this one thing that they've got, and they. It was just an amazing. It was. I. I don't think I've seen, in any of the Marvel Netflix shows to date, something that resonates so well. No. It, that is will be remembered like with great power comes great responsibility. That is that level. I think will become to that piece. I've seen it on t-shirts now. Just yeah, yeah. forward, full stop, always, and I'm like brilliant. Yeah, the great thing is it's not become cliche yet either. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> yeah, but I'm expecting it to be said so early in Homecoming that I'm just going to go, oh, at least you got <laughs> out of the way now. And it's going to be Uncle Tony that says it. Yeah, I, I love how it's. I love how that's put into this particular episode as well, where he's changed it slightly for his own brand new uh, version of it, where it's sometimes backwards to go always forward. Um, I like that little touch. It is Luke accepting the face that he has to, that he has, that has been dealt to him. And he is still, mm -hmm. uh, abiding by Pop's rule of always forward. Move on. Don't, don't stay in your past. Move on and don't, uh, don't keep the past with you all the time. So yeah, I really like it. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's, it's a nice way to bookend the end of the series mm -hmm. come through. It's like, okay, look, the bad guys have won. But we're moving forward. Always Absolutely. forward. That's what I mean. Always, there was that hope that with that, mm -hmm. um, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the main point for me out of this is this leads to defenders. Yeah. Like, no matter how bleak the outcome of this, we're moving forward, always forward, because this is all leading to the defenders. <laughs> like, it was just, I was like, okay, look, I don't care what plot lines you don't tie up in Daredevil, Jessica Jones anymore, because we're moving forward to the defenders. If they don't tie up all of them with defenders, I'm going to have problems, but that's a whole other ballgame. Then we have Jessica Jones season two, Daredevil yeah, season Iron three, Fist. but we do have Iron Fist on the way. I like just quickly that they've already given us the reason why we're not going to see Luke Cage in Iron Fist because he's going to be in prison. So, yeah. um, so we're not, we're probably not going to see Luke in Iron Fist. Um, on that point, John, do you want to give us your last point for this yeah, episode? Yeah. I absolutely loved the Claire Temple and Luke Cage corny flirting. Oh, absolutely. Um, yes! it, it was so sweet. Uh -huh. So like awkwardly like, cool fab. um yeah. it was just really good you know the hot cuban coffee 
reference, <laughs> the just the coffee reference. Uh-huh. Um, and to be honest, then just the fact that it was all torn away by the fact that two um, marshals come in to take him back to Seagate, you know, that bittersweet, which of course is coffee with sugar aspect <laughs> to all of this. I, I, I just thought it was really corniciously great. It was fab. Definitely, definitely. And I know you've already said there's a few coffee references. I adored the moment where Claire does that moment of realization and goes, well, he's going back to prison, so I've got to give him a kiss and does get her kiss with him. And then he sits in the back of the marshal's car and they say, do you want something to drink? We can stop for a coffee in Dunkin' Donuts on the way. And he goes, I had something hot and dark waiting for me and you guys messed that up. Um, I thought that was a lovely little moment, just the final coffee reference. Great snog as well. No! It was so good. And I mean, it was basically, it's, it's the sex scene without the sex going on. Mm-hmm. It's a sexy snog. I'm going to disagree with you, dude. Really? Wow. I'm so sorry. Like, that was not the best kiss in the world. Like, that was, she, her lips were going one way, his lips were going another. Like, <laughs> well, his lips were going to Georgia. Exactly. <laughs> I was watching it with Kelly, my girlfriend, and she just turned around and like, she was like, What's she doing? Like, literally, that was kind of the, the, the dishwasher where, like, you're pretty sure the tongue just stuck <laughs> out the side and just did a swirl. Come on. If they, if they really wanted to make it steamy and sexy, he could have just lifted her with one hand and pulled her up and gave her a proper kiss and said she's, like, trying to reach up to his six-foot something and just getting his chin. I thought it was really sexy, I must say. I thought it was, again, an opportunistic kiss. The final moment that she had to spend some time with Luke um, before he was dragged off by the marshals. Although they didn't seem to be doing much dragging. They were kind of convincing. Maybe it's time for you to go kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was pretty cute. Absolutely. Um, guys, any notes? We've talked a lot about this episode, I think. Uh, any notes about the episode? Um, the only note I've got is just to say that Marmite is a yeast extract um for our american listeners uh, and if you're from australia i believe the um inferior product is called vegemite <laughs> um but it is a yeast extract laden with vitamin b it is and ab- folic acid great if you're pregnant it is absolutely horrible yep it yep the, my least yep. favorite thing in the world and that is the thing marmite is you either love it or you hate it i absolutely adore it that's true that's true <laughs> One final note that we almost forgot to, th- to add in. Thanks very much to Robert Phillips uh, on our Facebook group for reminding us. John, you have one final note? Yes, it is our final book watch uh, of the series. Uh, we've moved from Marmite and now to mystery uh, detective novels. <laughs> um, yes, we have the reference to Chester Himes, uh, the author, and the book is The Heat's On, and it's the Harlem Detective series um, of Coffin Ed Johnson and Gravedigger Jones. Very appropriate. Um, yeah, absolutely. Chester Himes, I think, wrote these novels in the 50s, 60s, and it was to do with New York police detectives in Harlem mm. uh, investigating. And there's also a reference to Michael Connolly. Uh, now, I've never read any of his stuff, but I believe he's referred to as the West Coast... With regards to Harry Bosch, the detective novels and the LAPD detectives, mm-hmm. as more contemporaneous uh, with regards to being in the in the nineties. Yes, so well, give or take it ten years or so. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, really, really interesting. And one of the things, one of the um, theories coming out of this is that we've seen all these novels uh, through the series, but 
that Luke Cage is doing all this investigation, all this background reading, um, so that he too can become that detective and investigative hero for hire. Yeah, yeah. learn it off in the books and then possibly from Jessica Jones afterwards. Exactly. Maybe a little seed of, uh, of inspiration from Jessica. So yeah, our final book watch, and there's been uh, a few mainly towards the start of this uh, series, but now we are closing out with Chester Himes' The Heat Is On. Absolutely. And it's great that they tied up the book watch for us right at the end of the series. The one thing I would have loved them to have tied up that they didn't, unfortunately, was our swear jar, which we continue to use throughout our season, as everybody said, <laughs> fuck, fuck, anything they wanted to say. Um, we, we have used the swear jar, as you can, as you can hear. Uh, so I want to say thanks very much to the swear jar, uh, which did survive it all the way through to, I think, episode seven, uh, when Pop's Barbershop uh, got destroyed um, it's for probably, the first time. <laughs> yeah, I suspect Bobby Fish is taking care of it now, and he is, he's got it somewhere in, in Pop's Barbershop. Long live the swear jar. Chris, any notes about the episode? I don't. I've pretty much poured them all into my points in this one. Um, just... It was fun, it was a great ending, and I, I can't wait to give my verdict. Well, with that, Chris, I think we'll kick off with you. Do you defend the Luke Cage season finale, You Know My Steez? I do defend it. It was a solid finale when you start looking at it. It wasn't quite up to the high points of some of the earlier episodes in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still... A very satisfying way to end Luke Cage's first kind of solo outing. Like I'm not taking into account Jessica Jones. Like this is his show. Yeah, they ended it on a sour note. In not sour in terms of bad. I meant they 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 ended it in a in a way with a lot of threads still open to be discussed. Yeah. Um. Like I'm not going to rehash a lot of them. Just it was a great ending in that the the overall ending of the show was what made up for it the the fight was a bit kind of like really some of the character expositions could have been kind of pulled out further but luke cage is probably the most powerful superhero in the marvel netflix universe to date mm-hmm. okay with that where he is he's strong he doesn't use pomp doesn't use circumstance like he doesn't use the shadows like daredevil he doesn't there's no like kind of that style they ended it with this feeling of forward momentum and i think that's the best thing they could have ended it with absolutely like misty knight in a full comics garb like looking or keeping an eye on harness paradise claire signing up bringing her into the next episode the ending over the bridge, Mariah and Shades, like the key thing. And I think this is the best point I can lend it to anyone is it was a good season, but gave such a great promise for how much a more amazing material is going to come from these Netflix shows in the future. Absolutely. John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? You know my steez. Yes, I do defend this episode of Luke Cage um, much more than I thought I was going to after probably the first 10, 15 minutes um, of the episode. Um, I would give this four steamy parting snogs before we head off to Georgia out of five. <laughs> I thought this was actually a really great um, ending. 
Um, I still do have a bit of issue with the fight scene. I do feel as though Willis Stryker is unresolved and maybe he was always supposed to be, um, in, in a sense, given how Mariah Dillard floated like cream to the top. Evil cream, but cream nonetheless. <laughs> um, and, you know, Misty Knight, the fantastic, you know, Luke Cage, absolutely stoic to the end. But I mean, for me, it is the fact that, you know, we have this kind of history repeating this deja vu. Um, we have an ending that is laden with bleakness, but still with hope for the future, but with the bad guys on top, out of prison, not in custody, opening up a club, starting their empire again, uh, and with the the hero being sent back to prison. That is not what you expect from a Marvel TV show. It's mm-hmm. not what you expect from a Marvel show um, at all. This really does lend... Um, a fantastic new uh, perspective to Marvel shows. And I think it allows them to do that type of thing again. For me, really, really, really good. And a really nice ending, um, a really good final episode um, for this series. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely defend this episode of Luke Cage. Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I absolutely do. And I was I'm kind of like yourself, I think straight off the bat after watching this episode, I said, I am so glad we cover this episode by episode, gave ourselves a bit of a break after each episode to record our podcast and then go back to the next one. Because it, because it felt, as I say, it was wrapping up so many storylines that it felt like at the start, it wasn't its own episode. The first 20 minutes just felt like okay, we're just going to say goodbye to everybody in this episode. We're just going to wave goodbye, you know, as as <laughs> the kid from the first episode uh, comes along and joins the the already gathered gang on the streets watching the beatdown of, um, of Luke Cage. You're kind of going, why are we seeing so many of these people arriving here? Is, that, is this just going to be a wave goodbye? Luke Cage is going to get his motorbike back and then ride off on the sunset. Well, no, it changed. It twisted. It turned just like we've expected this show to do and ended off being a great episode. As you guys have both said, don't want to repeat it again, but uh, it turned off being a great episode with Luke back in jail and the the villains on top. So um, yeah, 100% defend this episode. Really, really good as I persisted through it. But as I say, to begin with, this was not the episode I wanted to to close out the season, but I'm so glad that's how they decided to end end the show. And with that, boys, that's the end of our coverage of <gasps> Luke Cage. No! But we're not completely out of the woods yet. We've got a little bit more feedback in from our wonderful listeners who've been joining us throughout the 13 episodes. Been joining us over on Facebook. Uh, you can join us over there while we're in our off-season at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, we've also been getting in some emails through feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And you can follow us over on Twitter at Defenders Cast, uh, if you want to hear a little bit of our thoughts or get in contact with us by uh, by DM. Um, just some quick messages first up. Uh, we had Doug Green who said, I was disappointed with the ending, which I think affected how I viewed the series as a whole. He also said his badass mother moment for Shades was the proto-Captain America scene in the elevator in uh, in episode 12. Chris, just so you know, oh, he called yes. it out for you. Uh, so, uh, so Doug says he was a bit disappointed in the ending. And that kind of affected his, his opinion of the series as a yeah. whole. So 
understandable. Yeah, I think if if you didn't, if this ending didn't work for you or you didn't Absolutely. go with it, I think it would kind of ruin the show for you, really, wouldn't it? I can understand that. No, and I think that the thing, like, as John said, this is a Marmite ending. Since watching the episode, I've had my look around. And yeah, unfortunately, this is a, almost like a 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. People loved the series to a degree, and they either loved or hated the the fi- finale. And based on that, they all say it kind of soured the, the, the series for them as a whole. That's a shame, but what it yeah, I can see it's it, I can see where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah. And we received our email in from the 108th Sage again. We get a, a couple of emails every season from her. She says, hello again, Derek, John and Chris. It's the 108th Sage. Uh, well, I went ahead and finished Luke Cage last night and wow, so good. Back when all these shows were announced, Luke Cage and Iron Fist were hands down the ones I was most excited for because Paramount and Iron Fist was one of my favorite comics when I was a kid back in the 80s. Individually, they are awesome characters and together they're even better. My only minor complaint about the show is that there's no mention of Rancor or Danny Rand making a minor appearance, even if only on a TV in the background. Yeah, I can definitely get that. Um, Absolutely. Iron Fist is without shadow of a doubt after Doctor Strange, my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I was introduced to Luke Cage and Heroes for Hire and so on. So these two, again, like Toast and Marmite for me, uh, fantastic. Um, and so it would have been, and I think it was something that we were certainly talking about very early on in the podcast was, you know, will we get to see Danny Rand? Will he make some kind of appearance? I mean, in the end, we do, we get Colleen Wing, mm-hmm. um, but I do know what you mean. It would have just been nice just for a split second, almost like the Colleen Wing reference, some kind of thing in the background, even just like a news report, you know, multi-billionaire um, thought lost returns to New York, something right. like that in the background. Yeah, yeah. What I would say to go on, goes on to say, of course, it wasn't just Luke and Danny that I loved in those comics. Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, alias Nightwing Restorations, were an important part of the dynamic. And two huge crushes of mine from back before I even know what those funny feelings meant. I just knew those <laughs> women were awesome. Uh, thus, I'm sure it comes as no surprise that Misty Knight is one of my favorite things about this show because Simone Missick just owned that role and breathed life into Misty Knight perfectly. I wonder when she'll lose her arm. And how she'll get a new one. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I think we've, we've said it all really about Simone Missick. She is a total standout in this series. She's been fantastic right up to the, the final scene from the first scene at the bar with Luke Cage in episode one to her final scene in the precinct that you called out, Chris, where, uh, where she's so distraught at the death of, uh, of Candace. Um, she's just been fantastic throughout. Yeah. One of my stage goes on to say Marshala Ali was awesome as Cottonmouth and the surprising ending to episode 7 where he's brutally beaten to death by his cousin. I did not see that coming. But I loved how they handled it. Mariah's transition to Black Mariah as the overall arc of the season was truly great. Rosario Dawson was excellent in this as we all knew she would be. I'm so glad she was in every episode after her first appearance, and I'm loving the chemistry between her and Mike Calder. Definitely. Uh, hope y'all are doing well, and just gotta say on the way out that I loved Doctor Strange so much. 108. Woohoo! So, <laughs> didn't we all? Didn't we all? No, absolutely. I think Mariah's arc, fantastic in, in this series. I think uh, Cottonmouth, again, ultimately like fantastic and absolutely it was a surprise to see him uh dead 
Um, we did think he was going to be the big bad uh, along with Diamondback, that maybe um, there would be that interaction there. And, of course, yeah, Doctor Strange, awesome. Completely, completely. I think the one thing that we didn't haven't said at the end of this kind of series yet is the casting choice for all the characters, the actors, their portrayal, um, be it people we've interviewed, be it the background characters, be it the, the main, the Simone Missics, etc., and the, the, the Mike Coulters and the Chia Croakers, because I still consider him almost a member of the cast based on the mm-hmm. writing and the show running bit. It's been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It really has. They've fleshed out these characters, and while there's been some less than perfect dialogue choices sometimes the overall actors have amazingly portrayed and brought us through those nailed it absolutely jim carrey shared his opinion with us over on our facebook group just to call out a couple of points from his he's uh, left quite a quite a bit of feedback a couple of points from his he's kind of on your side guys uh he says what's with luke that he didn't just rip diamondback's parachute off from the start just grab those collar collars and separate them the camera made it clear that luke viewed the power pod i get that he understood how it worked but what kept him from smashing it or ripping it away from the suit uh, same point as you guys had. So again, my feeling—I I don't know whether I got this wrong then, because everybody seems to be uh, seems to have a different opinion than me. But uh, yeah, my feeling was that he he had to allow the suit to depower, and then he could fight back against him. Just to answer that question there, Jim Gary goes on to say, uh, "Justin Hammer sure was ever present, ever presently absent in this series, wasn't he? Yeah, from right the way from the start, you know, and Seagate Prison, the the Hammer Hammer weapons, obviously, yeah, loads of uh, loads of references to Justin Hammer throughout this series. Uh, he says, "I'm glad that music did not have that much thug rap." In it. If there was one overall sound of the series, I happily recognize it's the 1970s cop detective drama themes of which Shaft and similar movies are pivotal. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think they did a really good mix of lots of music throughout this series. It's been one of my absolute high points every episode. I think I've come out with at least one song, including the one in this episode, 100 Days, 100 Nights. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful song and it's been on pretty much regular rotation since I heard it on the soundtrack originally, uh, months ago. Really, really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I mean, I think the music here, is absolutely fantastic and again it's another element of of this series that just um mixes it up changes it from the the normal marvel tv show yeah and finally jim says overall i think i get the same feeling with this and other marvel netflix series they unveil the mastermind very slowly they wrap up a major story arc halfway through character development and context which have been great continues but the main story shifts. I get the sense that a realistic closure would be would have been in the twelfth episode. In other words, the pacing seems dragged out to fulfil episode thirteen. The writers bent over backward to bring continuity with mentions of the incident, many of the Avengers, Daredevil, Kingpin, Jessica Jones, and poor old Kilgrave's demise, the Punisher, and Justin Hammer. Yet I kept waiting for a cameo from anyone. Matt Murdock was so close I could smell avocado. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely, he was close to popping on on the screen. Definitely. Thanks so much for those thoughts, Jim. Uh, Joel Sharpton also sent in some feedback to us. He says Luke Cage had by far the most distinctive soundtrack feel of any of the Netflix properties, and other than perhaps Guardians of the Galaxy, any of the MP- MCU properties. Period. That comes straight from the showrunner, whose background is as a music critic. I agree agree wholeheartedly with the problems with the final battle. Diamondback versus Cage in the barbershop was fine, but once they went on the street, Cage should have attacked the power pack continuously. He's been far too 
too smart the rest of the series not to have figured that out. It was obvious that they wanted to fit the battle to his line afterwards. I just stopped feeding him hate and worked backward from there. It didn't ruin the series, but wasn't the satisfying final battle that we got in Daredevil season one and two, or even Jessica Jones. Interesting. But I, I think this is kind of just the pacing and structure of this series. I, I think the two tier structure with the two villains being introduced and, and so on, plus with Mariah, that is a lot of villainy to, uh, to deal with, to set up, yeah. to, to bring back. And I think, um, you know, okay, Mariah Dillard is growing in the background all the time and ends up being the big bad. But the fact is you are focusing on Diamondback. Yeah. So he has to be given justice. And, um, I, I just feel that that probably just let down. Even just that big battle, it mm-hmm. it was kind of almost like, where did it come from? Yeah. Why is he taking it to this extreme? Why not just go and punch him in the mouth and then walk away and forget about it? I mean, do you know what I mean? It, it is kind of, uh, because it's so personal, that I think there has to be that explanation. I mean, if you think of Jessica Jones and how they delved into Kilgrave and yeah, their yeah. relationship. Very different. And you yeah. understand it. It makes sense. And this maybe just was one step removed from that with everything else going on. But I ultimately enjoyed that fight scene. It, it, it kind of did work. I think I would agree that having it in the barbershop, a bit more private time so that they could air their grievances, get some <laughs> more kind of co- yeah. context for, for everything that was going on, would have worked. I don't yeah. think they could have destroyed the barbershop any more than it had been well, destroyed no. throughout the season. Uh, Joel does end on a much more positive note. He says, overall, I loved how closely Netflix and ABC Studios hooed to the original origins of Cage. So many characters from his first few outings and origin story figure here, obviously in translated versions, as well as the basis of his power and story being identical. It's the most comic accurate origin I think we've gotten so far for any Marvel character. The, from a Netflix perspective, yes, that makes sense. Um, I think from an MCU perspective, still got a hands down to Tony Stark and the original Iron Man 1 and John Favreau's kind of his interpretation, which is mm-hmm. pretty darn close. Yeah. Yeah. And also with Doctor Strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Captain America, of course. Yeah. And um, finally, Joel says, in a show filled with talented actors of color, Mike Coulter stood toe to toe with every single one of them. He's my current favorite MCU hero, period. And the title is going to be hard to win back. Long live Luke Cage. You know, I, I kind of, kind of starting to agree with him. Really, really enjoying Luke Cage and enjoyed uh, Mike Coulter's performance throughout the show. Um, some final small bits of feedback. Uh, came in from Blake Oliver. He says, as a somewhat fan of Luke Cage, the show has been amazing. I love the entire cast, but Diamondback was my favorite to watch. The actor playing him was a favorite of mine from Boardwalk Empire, where I first saw Charlie Cox as well. His demeanor is so menacing and badass, even in his ridiculous hammer suit. <laughs> the stormtrooper, as we said. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's hammer time. And finally, Blake says... If I had to pick something to be disappointed about, it would be the fights overall in the show. I know this isn't Daredevil, but many of the fight scenes could have been better, in my opinion, except for Cage's slapping knockouts. I think that was one of, still one of the best scenes where he goes in. Definitely. And it's just a flick to the head. 
Absolutely. Uh, Thanks so much for that, Blake. Joel, everybody that sent in your feedback to us. And finally, I'll leave the last word to Rebecca for the feedback on Luke Cage. She says, I loved the ridiculous suit. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, Rebecca is a big fan of, uh, of Diamondback's ridiculous snake, snake covered suit. No, Rebecca, we had such high hopes for you. Why? Oh, I get the nod to the kind of comic accuracy, and it was it's slightly fun, but no, 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 no. <laughs> Everyone's no. entitled to their opinion. Exactly, except when they're wrong, and in this case, they're wrong. I love you, Rebecca, <laughs> but no. right uh one final question that came in on our facebook group just about our format throughout this series um we've had a very different way of doing this show uh that we've had that we this time than we've done in any of the previous shows so ronaldo says uh, how have you guys enjoyed or disliked doing the tuesday and friday format for better or for worse it's getting a pretty steady for podcasts out i guess it's good for you guys in order to get through the season a bit quicker chris any particular points about having two episodes out every week since we started i've enjoyed it unfortunately our producer has a lot less time um <laughs> in that case uh unfortunately us uh, myself and john being just the pure talent we're we're okay like it just means a couple of hours for us but our poor producer has to do a lot of work in the background um so send them your love people i did enjoy it it was a faster turnaround mm. it helps to refresh our memory kind of a lot it keeps the memory fresh i should say mm-hmm. a lot quicker um but we'll need to see how that kind of this was a test let's uh see how we go on if any of you out there are, are uh, recording artists and know how to use audacity and want to come on over give us a <laughs> shout we'll be happily take you into the family to help edit yeah absolutely yeah john exactly. anything anything about having two, two podcasts a weekend yeah no i i uh i really enjoyed doing the two podcasts a week um there was a bit of a necessity there as well um mm-hmm with other commitments that are ongoing but um yeah definitely i enjoyed that it certainly keeps it to a more manageable uh, level in fact we could have almost finished it sooner as well in terms of recording yeah not necessarily release but if dr strange hadn't come out absolutely. when it did we, if we dr strange hadn't that. come out when it did um and just yeah other elements as well then uh yeah we probably would have uh finished a bit sooner but um yeah. yeah no i enjoyed it i think it's always good and it's great that i think that we had all three of us on for every episode Absolutely. i think yeah. in, in the past either myself i think or chris haven't been able to make um one or two of the the podcasts yeah. uh derek has been the consistent eight, um, eight episodes and counting uh <laughs> 88 we're only on episode 87 89 episodes and counting then actually because uh justin swain's interview and dr strange did not count towards our regular count because i couldn't oh, make it work wow. this season there you go so it yeah it's been one of those interesting things we planned this long ago to try and make sure that we got all of our episodes out and, and had the guys both here we had some commitments throughout the time that this was going on from holidays from family visits to birthdays to college to um to sickness unfortunately happened sometimes over this kind of long period of time we've gone through everything from losing our first episode which we recorded uh, a week before the show came out on netflix we lost the first one had to re-record that yeah. We also got blocked on YouTube, so we couldn't do any live podcasting through YouTube for the first Ooh, time, which we YouTube. wanted to do for our final episode as well. Um, but it's been great fun. It's been really good chatting with the two guys, uh, obviously, throughout the uh, the series so far. Yeah, Google's really ropey. <laughs> I, I, look, I hear they're just a small startup. They may not be here like in another year. It's fine. 
Aren't they called alphabet spaghetti now? Something like that. that. Something like that, I hear. Yeah, something like that. So, that's it, boys. That's the end of our Luke Cage coverage for this year. It's the end of our podcasting listeners for this year as well. I just want to come in before we end, and I want to say, more importantly, thank you to all our people over on Twitter, on on our Facebook group. You guys are amazing. You are what makes this so much fun, uh, our listeners especially as well. Um, we love hearing your feedback, hearing from you, what you think, what you don't think. Just generally interacting because um, I, I'm going to quote, I'm going to actually paraphrase something kind of thing Stan Lee said a while ago, which was the love of comics is what brings us all together. That's mm-hmm. kind of true. And uh, yeah, so we look, thank you as well. You've joined us for this whole journey. If you're only coming in now, my God, you've got to go back and check out all the craziness that we've said so far. Like, seriously, <laughs> every one of our predictions came true if you're only joining now. If you're only joining us yeah, now, yeah. yeah. If yeah. you're joining us, don't go back any further, but just trust me, <laughs> every one of our predictions, because we all know where this leads to. The hand coming out of the giant hole in my Exactly. Hand. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, what does it lead to, guys? This is, as I say, the last episode that we have for this year. Our next confirmed episode will definitely be out on March 17th. That is the first episode of Iron Fist yeah. coming to everybody's screens worldwide after that we've got punisher which is also confirmed now for 2017 was confirmed during the month of october we have defenders which is currently filmed in new york one of our listeners who's over on uh, on the facebook group was who lives in harlem was saying they were filming a scene directly outside his window last week and he couldn't get over the excitement but he was quite hungry, so he had to run into his uh, into his apartment. After that, it's been confirmed that we're going to have the uh, another TV series coming next year. We've got the Inhumans, which is going to be airing um, to begin with as a two hour or a two episode pilot being shown in IMAX theaters worldwide. We don't know if we're going to be covering that. That's possibly going to be backing right up against Defenders as well. Um, but really interesting news that that's going to be coming. And obviously, we're also going to have all of the Marvel movies coming out next year starting with spider-man homecoming which obviously chris is really looking forward to uh as i am i must admit uh then we have guardians of the galaxy volume two and finally thor ragnarok coming on november 3rd 2017 so so much marvel content next year and a little other final announcement that's uh just come out this week as well is sadly Haley atwell's tv show conviction which she left Agent Carter 4 has been cancelled officially this week. So lots of speculation. This means that ABC might want to keep her on board to bring back Agent Carter, which has had a huge campaign um, to obviously bring back the show from lots and lots of Marvel fans. So uh, you never know. We may be getting some more Agent Carter in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, to echo what Chris has said, uh, thank you everyone so much for listening, for all the feedback that we've read out, um, but also the interactions on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, it, it really is very much appreciated from, from all of us. And it's why we, we do this. So absolutely a, a big thank you to the listeners. Absolutely. And I'll close out and say thanks so much to the listeners as well. And also thanks to my co-hosts. It's been fantastic once again, uh, talking with John and Chris about Every episode of another series of Defenders. That one's in the books. Happy Christmas, or should I say sweet Christmas to all of our listeners. (laughs) Um, And obviously, Happy New Year. We will be with you for St. Patrick's Day. Absolutely. And a sweet New Year, in fact. Sweet Christmas. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll speak with you next time. Bye. Bye.
bit of sad news that came in after we recorded our podcast. Uh, we heard the news that the featured artist in this episode who sang 100 Days, 100 Nights, Sharon Jones, passed away from a battle with cancer on Friday the 18th of October. Um, just wanted to say our, our thoughts are with her family. Uh, really, really sad, especially after discovering for myself as a huge music fan, discovering her through Luke Cage, the series, it's really sad that she's passed away um, just at the end of our of our coverage of the show. Uh, I'll be listening to her music um, for a long time to come after being introduced to her by Luke Cage. Uh, thanks so much to all of you for listening to our podcast. We'll be back with you next year. Thanks for listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a TV podcast industries production. Our theme tunes provided by the wonderful Mississippi McDonald and the Cottonmouth Kings. If you want to help out the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to us, there's some really easy ways to do it. If you can share our episodes through your social media channels like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook or Google+, that gets extra listeners into us. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes or a rating, just leave a five-star rating, click the button, or go to iTunes through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll take you straight to our page and leave us a review or a rating there. That always helps out independent podcasts. And also, as always, we love to hear your feedback about the show's interaction with our audience is what we really, really love. So you can send us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.